Father, what a blessing, what a treasure, what a privilege that is ours to own, to have in our possession a copy of your word in our language. We do not take that for granted, remembering that there are many people, millions of people still waiting for the first translation of your word in their language. Help us, O oh God, we pray, to treasure your truths, to gather regularly, not forsake the assembling of ourselves, to hear your truth preached to our hearts and our minds, and then to allow your truth to take root and bear fruit in our lives. Help us to do that. Now, be with the preacher he might preach with power and with clarity and with love, and that we might hear your word in the same way. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but the first area of weakness in my own life, the weakness that I find in my own spiritual disciplines is in prayer. <coughs> When I'm enjoying a certain amount of success or prosperity, when everything is going well with my marriage and my family, my tendency is to slack off in prayer. Maybe you can relate. Or maybe you're more spiritual than I am and you need only take notes on this message for someone else. So, it's a very interesting thing. Elder Doug recently gave me another excellent book, and this one is on prayer. And the title of the book he gave me last week is titled, Just Asking, Restoring the Soul of Prayer by, by a man named Stuart McAlpine. It's been my custom to begin the new year with a focus on prayer and fasting. When I consider the leadership transition before us, I know that our greatest need as a church family is to seek God and to humbly ask Him to lead, to guide, and to provide for us as a church family. And so I've titled this series on prayer, Simply Asking. Our Lord Jesus himself said of himself, I am the good shepherd. And he promised to never leave nor forsake his flock of sheep. And so we must keep our eyes of faith fixed on him through this entire transition process. Hebrews 12.2 reminds us that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That means whatever little faith we have originated with Him. And if our faith is to grow and to be perfected, then that can only happen by His grace. Every challenge in life and as a church family requires a renewed faith a renewed trust in God to help us. And true faith, real faith, prompts us to humble ourselves in simply asking for the help we need to meet the challenge before us. 
simply asking, humbling ourselves and simply asking. It's a principle that we use when, in the ministry that I have with gang members. When I go with the police to visit gangs, and we, we call custom notification, and we knock on their door, and we, the police commander warns them of the trouble that they're facing and the risk of their lives to be either at either end of the, that gun, the police commander then introduces me as the pastor of the community and says, now, today's your lucky day. I have a pastor with me, and he wants to help you. And then I give my spiel, and I leave my card. And then here's what I say to the guys. If you call me, and if you ask for anything that you need as an alternative to put down the guns and the drugs, I will give you whatever you need to make different decisions so that your life can be spared and you can get out of this lifestyle of guns and crime and fear and hostility and risk of death. It's now in your hands, the ball is in your court. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call and this offer never expires. It's not like the sale on TV. Offer expires on such and such date. We tell them this offer doesn't expire, just call. About half the guys that we give that spiel to and that card to, half of them believe that it's true. And they pick up the phone and call. And then when they call and ask, we mobilize the resources that enables them and empowers them to make different decisions that gets them out of harm's way and put them on a path of success and prosperity. That's why I'm so delighted today to see my one of my disciples, Heriberto and Teresa here, because he's one of the guys that I custom notified with the police about a year, a year and a half ago. And he reached out on the phone and he asked. And because he asked, he began to receive the help that he needed. But it takes, how many of you know it takes humility to ask What you're going to learn today is how simple and how important asking is in our prayer. So let's open our Bibles to our first scripture passage, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8. We just recited that passage. It is our memory verse for the month of January. It begins again, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. <coughs> and him who knocks, to him who knocks, the door will be opened. There's our key word for the series, the word ask. It's a very simple three-letter word. Equally simple is the concept of asking. To ask means to speak or write to someone in order to get some information from them. 
or to speak or write to someone because you want them to do something for you or to give something to you. That is the concept of asking. It's not very complicated. It's very simple. To ask means that you have a need that you cannot provide for yourself. Maybe you need information or you need a product or resource or a service that you cannot provide for yourself. It means that you are dependent on the one to whom you ask. Asking also means that you trust or believe the one that you're asking because you believe that he or she can, they can, number one, and they will, number two, provide what you need. Now Matthew chapter 7 is part of a larger text known as the Sermon on the Mount. It begins in chapter 5 where Jesus saw the crowds and went up to a mountain to teach his disciples who gathered around him to listen and ask questions. <laughs> Jesus taught them many lessons on many subjects, including our subject of prayer. And in our passage, chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, we find three forms of asking. Ask, seek, and knock. There are three different words, but they essentially mean the same thing. They're all in the form of the present active imperative, which means a couple of things. For you grammarians, and for those who were not good at grammar, let me refresh your memory of what it means when a phrase or a word is in the present active imperative. They are imperatives, which means they are commands. And they are present active, which means they are to be done immediately and continuously. In other words, Jesus is teaching his disciples to humbly pray by simply asking, seeking, and knocking at God's door for what they need. And to be persistent in asking, and seeking, and knocking until God answers and he provides the need. One of the challenges that many of us have is being persistent in the asking, right? I confess that there are some times that I simply stop asking because I have not received what I have had, what I have, had been asking for. I have not received what I have been asking or seeking or knocking for. And I get discouraged. I'm disappointed with God because he has not answered my prayer in the way I had hoped that he would. Do you ever feel that way about God? Or your prayer life? And yet Jesus teaches his disciples to persist in asking and seeking and knocking. But how do we persist when we lose hope? When we are discouraged in waiting for the answer, perhaps our next passage of scripture has the answer for us in terms of asking, how do we persist when we lose hope?
when we get discouraged and waiting for the answer. This passage of scripture is found in the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 18, 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. At first reading, you might wonder, what in the world does this passage have to do with prayer? Matter of fact, the word ask or prayer does not appear here except when the disciples asked the question about who's the greatest in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, the word, this word ask, again, is so simple that sometimes I think we miss it in our adult, sophisticated minds. Stuart McAlpine makes the astute observation that this passage has everything to do with prayer, especially in the attitude we ought to have when we pray. Think about it. Jesus is here teaching us that nobody gets into his kingdom without childlike disposition. And nobody becomes great in his kingdom without adopting the humble, trusting, persistently asking attitude of a child. McAlpine quotes the research done by trial psychologists which says that a child, like the little ones that came up here today, a child asks about 40,000 questions between the age of two and five. Some of you parents just sighed. Some of you who still have little ones or remember what it was like to have little ones between the ages of two and five. From the time they start to say daddy or mama and they start formulating questions, 40,000 questions between the ages of two and five. He goes on to note that preschool children ask about 100 questions a day but almost none by the time they get to middle school. Just ask the young parents in our church of middle of preschoolers. They are dead tired of answering the constant questions of their preschoolers. Can I get an amen? amen? Richard Berman, the founder of TED Talks, those of you who watch TED Talks on YouTube or on radio, you listen to TED Talks, he observes that children are rewarded in school for having the right answers, but not for asking good questions. Perhaps this explains why children stop asking so many questions by the time they're in middle school. We've conditioned them to think that they know it all. And of course, we adults pride ourselves with how much we know, don't we? And we live in the uber information age when you can 
Google and YouTube anything you need or want to know. Maybe all of this explains why we pray so little. Why so few of us attend prayer meetings regularly. McAlpine concludes that prayerlessness is a failure to ask and keep asking. And do you know what we can, we can even be deceived into thinking that we are praying when we're really not praying. In Luke 18, beginning in verse 9, Jesus told his disciples a parable to illustrate this very point of how we can be deceived into thinking that we're praying when we're really not praying. Jesus went, he said, saying, you know, he was telling his disciples a parable to teach them, and he said, two men went up to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. One was a very religious leader, and the other was a despised tax collector. He worked for the IRS. The religious leader prayed about himself, thanking God that he was not like other men, you know, he wasn't like the thieves and the adulterers and the gangbangers and the tax collectors just like the dudes that next to him. He went on to remind God that he fasts twice a week and he gives 10% of his income to the temple. Meanwhile, the tax collector couldn't even bring himself to look up to heaven. Instead, he bowed his head in shame and humility. He beat his chest and prayed, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner! While both men went into the temple with the intention of praying, only one man truly prayed and went home justified before God. The other man was deceived and he went home unjustified, Jesus said. Do you know which one it was? Now one of them sounded real good. He sounded so eloquent and righteous before men. Some of us know people like that who pray. I mean, you hear them pray, you're like, whoo, man, are they super spiritual. Look at all the fancy words they use. I can't pray like that, I better keep my mouth shut. I ain't open up my, my mouth in prayer meeting. I can't compete with somebody like that. They pray too, sound too spiritual, sounds too perfect. One of these men sounded so good, sounded so eloquent and so righteous before men. But in his pride, he knew it all. And he did it all right. Therefore, he had no need to ask God for anything. Did you notice that his prayer, his prayer was absent of any questions? He asked nothing of God. The one man, the really spiritual leader, he didn't ask God a thing. There's not one question in his quote-unquote prayer. Let us not be deceived into thinking we are praying when we are not. The one who truly prays always takes on the posture of humbly asking God for information, 
resources or services that they cannot provide for themselves. And I find it very interesting that that is the principle upon which the custom notification to the gang members of our city is predicated. What we're really asking them to do and what we're teaching them to do is to ask for help for the things that they do not have access to, whether it's information or it is resources or it is some, some service that they need that for whatever reason they don't have or they don't have access to. Prayer is exactly the same thing. The one who truly prays always takes on the posture of humbly asking God for information, resources, or services that they cannot provide for themselves. Let us become like children once again with a simple, humble, trusting, persistently asking attitude before God, our Heavenly Father. Now let's move on to another verse of scripture, which helps us to understand another dimension of prayer in terms of prayerful asking. John chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus speaking to, again to his disciples, he said, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. In John chapters 15 and 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his gruesome death by crucifixion and his departure back to heaven after his resurrection. Part of their preparation is to understand how to access the treasure chest of heaven, unlocking the many blessings to be manifested right here on planet earth. And part of their preparation is to understand how to do that. You see, while Jesus was with his disciples, he took responsibility to provide for them through his powerful prayers to God the Father. Now he's teaching them to use his name when asking God to pour out his blessings on them. Once again, Jesus repeats his teaching found in our Matthew passage, which is what? Ask and you will receive. But then he adds new information not found in the Matthew passage. Jesus adds, and your joy will be complete. Some of you wonder whether or not God cares about your happiness, whether or not he cares about your joy. Because we all have times in life when we're not happy, we're not filled with joy. And we wonder, does God really care? And, and, and should I even care about my own joy and happiness? Because I haven't been happy, I haven't been joyful in such a long time. Believe me, Jesus cares about your joy. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be completely filled with joy. And so he tells us, I bet some of you have never really put this together that prayer 
and joy are linked together. If you did, you would pray more, wouldn't you? If you knew how much joy comes with praying, wouldn't you pray more? Wouldn't it make sense to pray more so that you can be more joyful? Wouldn't you flock to prayer meeting to pray with other people in the church that are related to you so that the whole church should be filled with joy? But we don't. Because we don't understand or we don't believe. Or, I hate to think this, but we just are so pathetic in our acting on what the scripture teaches. Jesus is here teaching us that there is a relational aspect to praying that gives us joy even before we have what we have prayed for. Jesus wants his disciples to know that because they know him, and more importantly, because he knows them, they can now confidently pray even in his absence, using his name and rest assured that God the Father will honor their requests. All because they have an interpersonal relationship with him, God's one and only son. And there's an aspect of relationship that because we too are children of God, brothers and sisters to our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says when we combine our prayers together, there's something that is so powerful that moves the heart and hand of God. When we unite together our voices and our hearts and minds in prayer, which is why God is so pleased when his people come together to pray. They can now confidently pray, even in his absence, using his name, resting assured that God the Father will honor their request. Therefore, when we pray asking God for whatever we need, we ask boldly, we can ask confidently, we can ask persistently, Believing, trusting that it will be done. And if we pray with such an attitude, then our joy will be complete even before the answer to our prayers have come. And that's why Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When was the last time you experienced joy in prayer? Complete joy. Knowing that God the Father has heard your prayer and the answer is already on the way. Again, it's like my children. We have four children. All of them have done this. So I'm going to tell you a story and don't think, well, was it this one? All of them have done this. Daddy, can we go to Andy's for some custard, get some custard today? Now, when I woke up, I wasn't planning to go to Andy's. I didn't have Andy's money in the budget. But then the question comes again, Daddy, can we go to Andy's? Can we please go to Andy's? Oh, Daddy, can we go to Andy's? 
we go to Andy's? I want some custard. Mm, Daddy, can't you just taste the custard? Mm, it's so good. It's a perfect day to go to Andy's. Don't you think that? We can walk, we can take the bike, we can take the train, we can get in the car. Can we please go to Andy's? Now, I heard them the first time. I heard them. I heard clearly, I understood exactly what they meant. I heard it. I understood it. But even though I wasn't planning on going to Andy's, frozen custard, and even though it wasn't my plan to spend my hard-earned money on some Andes. I found room in my schedule and my budget to get some Andes. And guess what? They don't share their grandparents, they understand that. Don't you dote on those grandkids? Even before they learn how to talk. You, you just, right? And every time I see them, they show me pictures of the grandkids. They're telling me all the gifts that they bought for them, how they spent. Listen. Jesus is teaching us that because of the relationship that we have with him, by faith, through his grace, we also have the same relationship with God the Father. And because of that relationship, when we pray in Jesus' name, God hears and honors that request. Therefore, we can, we can pray and have a big old smile knowing that the answer is already on the way. We can have confidence. Our joy can be complete. Just like my children. They know that as they persist in asking, they know the answer is coming. And they, they can have a confidence that the answer is coming. And they can have joy and peace. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. That there is a certain joy, confidence, peace that we can have when we come to God with our deepest needs and even wants before Him in prayer. Finally, let's look at a prayer Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. We'll end our time today praying this powerful prayer for each other. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city in the ancient world, now in, in, in the country of Turkey. The Apostle Paul wrote this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being 
rooted and established in love, at our prayer time this morning at the altar, somebody asked me to pray that this year they might be so filled with God's grace, mercy, and love for those around them. That's what Paul is praying. And that's what I pray for that person. Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may then have power together with all the saints. I love this. This is this just this ought to blow your mind. To grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, the word that he used to grasp is the word in Greek which, which means to conceptualize. To, to, to have some, to wrap your mind around how wide, long, high, and deep the love of Christ is. But then he uses another word. Verse 19, and to know this love. He's not talking about intellectual knowledge at this point. He's, he, that's, he's not going to shoe leather. How many know what shoe leather knowledge is? In the hood we say street cred. Right, Berto? You got some street cred. It means experiential knowledge. He says, I want you to grasp with your mind this concept of how immeasurably huge God's love is. And then he says, I'm also praying that you have experiential knowledge of it. Because he says, I want you to know this love that surpasses intellectual knowledge. So after your mind is blown, because you can't really fully comprehend it, he says, I want it to pass your blown mind so that you experience it in real life, in real time, 24-7. That is incredible. And why does he want, why is he praying in this way, Paul says? So that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh my goodness. I wish y'all could understand what's being said here. I wish I could explain it to you. We're just going to have to pray like Paul that you get it. Because if we, if this prayer is actualized in our lives, there'd be another, never ever be another church fight. There'd never be another fight between husband and wife talking about, we're going to divorce. I had a meeting with some folks recently trying to reconcile two believers who were in disagreement. And one of them couldn't even finish the meeting. Got up and walked out of the meeting. You know why? Because they had failed to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. 
and they haven't experienced this knowledge firsthand so that therefore they were not filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And they didn't have the power to sit still and listen till the conversation was over so that they may be reconciled. This shoe leather faith. Shoe leather faith. See, it's one thing to say that I'm a Christian. It's one thing to sing these songs. It's one thing to come to church. It's another thing to practice what we're singing and preaching and reading. And so Paul understands as an apostle, he understands that yes, we're humans. Yes, we're not finished products yet. We're still in progress. There's nobody that's perfect. But our goal, and that's why we need to continue to pray and ask for God's help so that we might understand just how high and long and deep and wide is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. You see, God's power is always made manifest in and through His people. Just like Satan's power is made manifest in and through His people. Which is the reason why Jesus told His disciples we can we can judge and know by the fruits of our words and our deeds. You can know whether somebody is coming from the place of the devil or coming from the place of God. Their words and their deeds are made manifest. That's the manifestation of who your God is. You're either serving the devil or you're serving God. And the devil's power and God's power is made manifest in and through people. And the minute we recognize that is the minute we realize, wait a minute, am I going to allow this temple, this, your body is a temple, am I going to allow my temple to be filled with the spirit of demons and to do the bidding, to do the work of demons? Or am I going to allow the Holy Spirit to fill this temple so that the Holy Spirit can then manifest His power, the power of God, the love of God, the words of God, the touch of God? So last week, I went to the hospital to visit a family who's had a crisis in their brand new grandchild born first grandchild, and even today, they were thanking me for coming and being present with them in the hospital. They were thanking me for my time, thanking me for just being there, thanking me for the words of comfort for my prep. They talked about how powerful and meaningful that was. Why was that? 
because the Spirit of God in me moved me to go and to be present. And, and I pray whenever I do that kind of thing. I pray, ask God, I say, God, use me. Fill me and use me. Now, it seems like a simple thing. Somebody's in the hospital, they need a visit. Go visit them. But when you go and you're filled with the Spirit of God, He manifests Himself, His power, His love through you. And so when you touch that person, when you speak words of kindness and love, when you pray over them, before we left the hospital, we gathered right there, the people, I mean, the children's hospital downtown, there's a hustle and bustle. I was sad actually when I went in there because it was New Year's Eve and here were all these parents with sick, you know, and grandparents coming to see sick kids in the hospital on New Year's Eve. But then I thought, thank God we have a hospital to go to on New Year's Eve. And one of the best ones in the world. And thank God that I could be the feet and the hands of Jesus to this couple, my brother and sister, that were in need to see Jesus, to hear him, to touch him through me. I guess what? Every single one of us who names the name of Christ has the, the same opportunity that I have to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be used by God to bless others. From the time our children were young, we taught them, we, we, my wife and I decided we were going to have a mission statement or a vision statement for our family. Vision statement for our family is simply this. The Allen family exists to be used of God, giving up our time, talent, and treasure to glorify Him and bless others. That's our, that's our, that's the, the, as a, as a, a priest of my home, that's the vision, the mission I wanted to communicate to the next generation of Allens. That they would recognize that God has put them on the planet to be filled with His Spirit, to use ourselves, our time, talent, and treasure to glorify Him and bless others. What I want us to do now is to gather in groups of two and three. We're going to have prayer meeting. Since y'all won't come on Wednesday night, we're going to have it right now on Sunday morning. We're going to have a prayer meeting. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your electronic Bible, or if you want to put this scripture back up on the screen, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And I want you to pray this for the person around you. The person next to you. I don't want anybody sitting by themselves. You're sitting by yourself, move to next to somebody, and I want you to pray this scripture for the person next to you. Okay? So let's do that, and then I'll come back up when we're through. I want you to pray. Philip, I want you to pray with somebody before you, you uh, come here.
pray with somebody this scripture, let somebody pray this for you, and then you come back to the end. I want everybody to pray and to be prayed for this passage before we dismiss. <laughs>